Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of Coming Up in My Sneakers. Uh, today, we have Chrissy Newton, who is a publicist, and she is best known for founding her company, Vocab Communications. Um, also, I want to just like preface you guys that we are still um, in isolation on this episode. So uh, this is a new way that I'm doing the podcast. I've tried it a couple of different ways so far. So I'm thinking that this is going to be the best way. And so I hope you guys enjoy. I hope the audio is good for you. Um, and on that note, welcome, Chrissy. <laughs> Thanks, Heather. <laughs> I'm like trying to like, I just no, feel so great. bad. Like I, I always interview people in person just because of like, I love that vibe. I love the audio and I love like just the quality and stuff. And I've been like so sad to have, it, have to do it this way, but it is what it is. Yeah. The human connection is, is way better during interviews. Totally. And, and now for sure more than ever we need it. So exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So let us get into your come up story. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Kitchener-Waterloo, so about an hour outside of Toronto. Uh, funny enough, I grew up on a dirt road. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, so I grew up on the dirt road in the country. My parents still live in the country, and they still live in my childhood house, which is awesome. So I get oh, to go nice. back there Yeah, when I get to see them. So I grew up there, um, and then I went to like a, a high school that was a country high school as well, too, and a public school. And then when I was, uh, when I was 19, I moved to Toronto. Wow. And did you yeah. move? Um, actually, so sorry. I just want to know a little bit more about like growing up. Um, yeah, for sure. So like what sort of things were you into? Because like a publicist is a very specific career and like we're not taught about it, about that as kids. So like, did you um, like growing up, what were sort of your interests and stuff like that? Oh man. So when I was a kid, I loved, I was actually fortunate enough to get MTV. So we had one of those massive satellites oh. that would move one of those dishes that you'd watch move. That was like the eyesore in your backyard. Yes. So I was lucky enough that my parents bought that because we couldn't get normal cable. The only thing we could get in the country was satellite. So, right. so, you had no right. choice. so yeah, so we had no choice, but it was awesome because I used to get a lot of American television. So I'd get both Canadian and American. So I really became interested in American and Canadian media when I was really young because uh, I was influenced by it a lot. And then from there, my dad also is a huge, you know, he loves things about propaganda, obviously, and, you know, in the positive way, not in the negative way, but that really was feeded into, into it as well, too. So a combination of loving media and really, you know, fascinated with the whole understanding of propaganda and what it, what it meant really started it. And I never knew that PR or being a publicist was actually a job. Uh, I was naturally kind of doing it innately. And then one day uh, someone mentioned it to me and I was like, I can do that. And then I looked it up and that's when it all kind of went from there. But, but as a kid, that's really the catalyst that started it. So just a love of media uh, and consuming it. Nice. Um, outside of MTV, what other channels? I feel like um, a lot of American channels were just reg like normal for us. Cause like I lived uh, in the GTA growing up and yeah. so I didn't have a satellite. I had like regular uh, cable, but I remember getting like Petri TV from like Atlanta and yep. um, like all of those. I just felt like there were so many more, maybe cause we didn't have enough channels to like have our own, like, I don't know. So like, sorry, what else did you watch? Yeah. That was like the MTV influence. And 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The Disney channel was a big one for me. So Nickelodeon was huge as a little kid as well. too. I loved Nickelodeon. Yeah. So, and then like watch Nick at night when I was all like the old, you know, the old kind of cartoons and shows too. I used to watch that with my dad and my parents all the time. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. From MTV, HBO was a big one. We couldn't get HBO in Canada at that time. So I fell in love with Stanley Kubrick and didn't even know that I was watching all of Stanley Kubrick's films when I was a kid. And then when I started getting older, I went, oh my God, that's one person doing all these films that I love. So that, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey was a huge film that I loved that really got me into sci-fi as a young kid. So I got really lucky to watch like really high quality film at a really young age. Nice. So, and television and stuff like that too. And and it's not just like, you know, my kids, my mom didn't sit me in front of a TV and was like, watch TV and my dad, you mm. know, it was just what we got to consume when we come home from school. Nice. And so did you live on a farm or like? I, <laughs> I kind of did. I, kind, I live beside farms. So we have a lot of, we have property. My dad grew up in the country, so he wanted a country house in a way. So we're just a, we're a house with, he wants a lot of land. So we had a lot of land around us and, and we still do. And then there's a lot of uh, farmers that are around us. So we're friends with a lot of farmers and um, there's a tobacco field, there's gravel pits, you know, there's, there's corn, there, there's everything from dairy, you name of the type of farms that were around us. Nice. And what did your parents do? Yeah, my dad uh, owns a company. He's an arborist. So, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so he started that. Uh, and then when he was in his 30s, and then so he's an, he's an entrepreneur in his own way as well too. And then my mom is actually a social worker. So oh, she's cool. retired now. But yeah, she was a social worker. She actually used to take kids out of homes. Doing oh, in- no way. Yeah, so she had a really good you know outlook when I was growing up about kind of the different side of the world and the way people worked. So she, she worked really hard and she was like the number one person in the Kitchener-Waterloo region that was doing that and really loved. Um, and then funny enough, they actually asked her later on that if she wanted to be the, the head of PR for the organization. Oh I my God. Like, Mom, do it. <laughs> and I was getting into PR. And I that was like, is Mom, so funny. Go, yeah, I was like, go do it. I'm like, you're going to love, you'll love it. And she ended up not because she wanted to stay in the field and she wanted to help people. Right. Wow. That's so funny. So I kind of, I kind of feel like maybe you adapted, like, it sounds like your mom's naturally good at PR if she was asked. So maybe you sort of like picked up a little bit of that from her and kind of like, I don't know, like, that's really cool. I, I think my family were natural communicators. We just don't know, you know, that we are like, for example, my sister actually works in media. She's a radio host. So she, yeah, so we're all, it's funny enough that Adele and I went, I went in behind the scenes and she kind of went in front of it. So it's funny how both of us went into media, you know, when we were younger, but I look at my parents and they are prime examples of communicators and people that should be in the forefront doing that. You know, they're, they're really great with people. You know, they have a really great heart, you know, for humanity and love to do like charity work and stuff like that. So I, I think that's really what drove us as well too. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so I, other than watching uh, all this amazing American TV growing up, um, <laughs> right. what, uh, what type of stuff did you do? Because I know the challenges, especially like, can I ask how old you are? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm 36. Yeah. Okay. So like, I know the exact, like I'm 30. So like and my brother's three years, like 33 or whatever. So like, I totally know the era that um, sort of you were in. And especially like at that time growing up in like, you know, late nineties, like early two thousands. Um, they're like 
obviously wasn't like cell phones even, or like, you know, Instagram, no. there's like MSN maybe, or like ICQ. Um, ICQ. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. that was, if you had dial up internet, if you had a computer that you were allowed to use and like your parents hadn't found out that it ties up the phone line. <laughs> like my dad right, exactly. didn't realize for like a year that it was doing that. It's amazing. <laughs> like, wow, the phone is really quiet today. Like, yeah, it's so weird. And like, literally me and my brother on the internet and he had no idea. And then like, finally he realized he's like, what the fuck? And like snapping got us a separate line for like, that's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah, but we just a- didn't have that knowledge, right? At that time. No, no, no. And if they didn't know, you know, or didn't, you know, if they didn't understand like, what really? dial up really yeah, meant, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. I love that story. <laughs> um, but yeah, my question, so like what other sort of stuff did you do growing up in Kitchener Waterloo? Like, were there like, like kids playing after school on like the dirt road that you lived on? Yeah, like- it's amazing. Uh, I've actually, I've never really talked about this as an interview. So it's, it's, this is really cool. Yeah. Um, sorry. I like to get right no, it's, from the beginning I love it. all the way no, Dig deep. I think that's amazing. Uh, so I was actually, funny enough, uh, my grade eight teacher, Mr. Curtis, was a huge influence to all of us in a, in a small city or small town that we went to in Plattsville. It was uh, the elementary school story that we went to. And he's actually retiring this year, funny enough. So oh, wow. everyone's having a surprise party. So hopefully no one, <laughs> no one Mr. C is not going to listen. Oh, no. Yeah, right? no. <laughs> exactly. But he's having <laughs> one. Uh, but he was a huge influence, but he was also our basketball coach. So when oh, I was cool. in elementary school, myself and a couple other um, – you know, it was a female basketball uh, team that we had. And so he actually would pick us up in the morning and after school, drive us home. Amazing. Yeah. Because our parents worked so hard and they worked so late hours and would come home at different times that extracurricular sports really had to happen in our area. So a lot of us played basketball and we were actually one of the number one, you know, teams to play basketball in that, in that area. So he would pick us up. And then by the time that he would drop us off from, from basketball in elementary school, then my parents would be home. Oh, so that's perfect. something. And then when we got into high school, you know, you, you generally would hang out at the local Tim Hortons, you know, that uh, <laughs> and as every country bumpkin does, you drive around in a car, picking up your friends, you know, doing, doing stupid teenager stuff. So right. a lot of the time, like in high school, we go to house parties, you know, tons of house parties, all that's of the good. Time. Yeah. Bush parties all the time, stuff like that. So that's really what we, you know, when as you get older, you'd amuse yourself. And then later on, you know, you obviously then start to get to know people in the city when you get into high school. So you kind of start doing that city cross blend of like the, the country, your country friends, and then your city friends. So, totally. so what yeah. was like the closest, um, like, so were you on the outskirts of Kitchener Waterloo? And then like, I so was, what, yeah. okay. And then like, so I guess like your city friends were kind of like in actual in Kitchener Waterloo. I can't even really like picture yeah. Like there's like a, a miniature like little downtown kind of thing there, right? Yeah, there is. So KW now is a lot larger. It's Kitchener-Waterloo okay. is one. It's two cities that moved into one. And the, and Google's there now. It's actually really becoming oh. a hot spot. Yeah, it's really becoming a hot spot for Well, I for guess, tech. I guess yeah. for, because of uh, Laurier, Laure, right? Isn't that yep. the university that's there? Yeah, like it, it is. Yeah. They like birth all of like the greatest tech people, I feel. Yeah. And same with, yeah, Laurier, Waterloo, they're both amazing universities that, and well, and also, you know, Blackberry was there. That really started, yes. Rim started there. So now it's becoming a lot larger of a city and more people are moving there. It's becoming the the tech corridor between Toronto and Kitchener. So 
yeah, which is, which is amazing. So growing up outside of that, we didn't have rim and things like that. Kitchener was a, a really great city and it still was, but yeah, you would go in and visit your friends and then, you know, you'd meet a whole bunch of people in different high schools and then you start going to Kitchener parties, which were a little bit more, there were, we had crazy, crazy country parties, but it was a little bit different on that side, you know, maybe a little more dangerous, but not compared to Toronto. You know, mm. if I, people growing up in Toronto would probably laugh and be like, Kitchener, you know, inner city parties aren't that bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but you know what's yeah. funny? I like, it, it, it's interesting because although the city is dangerous, like Toronto, it's like, I feel like some, like the country still has its own dangers. They're just different. And cause it's like, there is no lights on the roads. And like, you know, if you run out of gas sometimes, like, you're pretty fucked. Like, where are you going to get? Um, oh yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, so we did, we, there was a lot of, you know, dirt. I, I was assuming a lot, not myself, but a lot of people would drink and drive. That's, you yes, know, that was that, a country thing. I, that's yeah. back in the day. That's, you know, that's like 15 years ago. I don't know as much now, obviously probably not, but because, which was hopefully not, and they shouldn't have been doing it then either, but mm-hmm. there was a lot of that. And there was a lot of people just, you know, throwing house parties and for sure there's all different types of you know, I wouldn't say like when we look at drugs and stuff, I think that's everywhere, obviously as a teenager, but then when you're, you know, we didn't have a big thing about guns and weapons and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. no one ever worried about that in True. where I went to school, even in Kitchener, I don't think weapons and guns were really an issue then as well too. So you felt safe. If anything, you know, when you're kids and you're in high school, you know, we go out to Tavistock, uh, which is by Stratford where, well, people that are listening where Justin Bieber grew up and for us like you know we go to house parties and the cop would the cops would break it up and then we'd all you know run out and then we like run into the cornfields and then searchlights would be going in the oh in the cornfield. yeah like looking for us and we'd hit the ground and you know so when you're when you're when you're fun. right when you're 16 like that's all the Tavistock cops were really doing on the weekends was just breaking up house parties oh from, my god from teenagers they're just trying to have fun so we would have massive house parties yeah and then a searchlight would come and then you know everyone would disperse and then the cops would go away and then everyone would probably go generally would go back to having a house party we just make it a little more quiet that's so, hilarious yeah yeah oh, that's the awesome. good old country yeah uh-huh. <laughs> um cool so did you um so like did you ever sort of have like I love always asking people this um yeah. did you have like sort of some gut thing from like really young that like I really want to do this or were you kind of just like rolling with it and like you didn't think about it and that could have been like even like did you always know you wanted to start a business because your parents were like very entrepreneurial or like like I know the PR thing like you heard about it later but did you know you wanted to be in communications or like were you just kind of like I don't know I'll just see what happens yeah I've always loved entertainment so the entertainment world the business and everything else so that was really a part of it um, that I was interested in so that kind of started the lead into PR Uh, I also love theater you know, that was a big oh, okay. thing as well too. Yeah. So when all of that, before I went to university, you know, that played, I actually, funny enough, uh, when I went to York university, I actually applied for theater and I got in oh. into their theater program. Yeah. So I auditioned, got into their theater program. And then during that transition time, I believe it was going into my second year, I found out what PR was. And that's really when I went, okay, mm. I love this. And then really fell forward into it and then moved my career instead of working in theater, moved it into, into public relations. And then I did my postgrad in corporate communications and public relations. And that really was the catalyst. But when I first moved to Toronto, when I was 19, I was really lucky enough to meet amazing people that worked in the business automatically. 
I just fell into some right groups, had friends that were in the right groups. A lot of them were actually in the music video. Um, some were directors, some were actors, you know, some worked in media. I was really lucky to be able to, to meet them when I first moved to Toronto. So that really helped me because I started building a community here at a really young age before I even started my business. Yeah, that helps a lot for sure. Yeah. Um, did you, uh, did, 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 what was I going to ask you? Did you, um, oh my God, I just drew a blank. Oh, did you do theater growing up? Like, uh, or we did, did not you- in the country for sure. My sister and I would make little videos where we would like pretend that we were doing a German cooking lesson and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And we do fun things like that. But uh, no, I, I did theater. Yes, I did some, but we didn't really have opportunities to do it when we were younger. It's right. when I started, you know, in elementary school. And then when I started, you know, becoming more of a teenager, I started doing equity showcase and I would come to Toronto. I would drive to Toronto when I was about 17, 18 and go do acting classes down here at equity showcase. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that really started. And then I actually, I had a, a class with Drake. Uh, when I was Stop, there. Stop, actually? Yeah, yeah, the class with Drake. With, yeah, and so it was funny enough, I had a scene with him, an on-camera scene. So no, this is when- do you still yeah, have it? Recorded? I wish I did, no, but I bet you are- You act- should contact them, yeah. I, I really should. The acting teacher that taught us that class uh, recorded all of it. So he has it on VHS, which is funny enough to say. So I had an acting class with Drake, and then a couple other kids from Degrassi were in it as well, too, and myself. And it was on on-camera acting class. Loved it. And I was the country bumpkin going into to the city, you know, every other Thursday or Friday. No, no, sorry, it was every every other Saturday that I would go in. So, you know, I it was funny, but then and then I always knew something inside of me always knew that I was gonna live in Toronto. Like I just Yeah, I so I wanted to ask you that. Like, were you dying? Like I know I hear about some kids that grew up in the country and they're like, I was dying to get out, or like um, were, were you just kind of like, yeah, I think I want to move there. Or like, I think I want to be there. Yeah. I wasn't dying to get out. I liked, I loved my city and I loved my friends and things like that, but I always knew I wanted to do different things and I wanted to do something a little bit out of the norm that Kitchener would never be able to offer to give me that opportunity to grow. So Toronto was the only place I could do that. Yeah. Uh, and then when I came here, I, you know, I moved on my own and I lived on the Danforth and I, and I went to school. Uh, and then at some point I did, when I was at York university, I did live on campus, but I only lived on campus for a year and then just moved right back downtown to like Spadina, um, sorry, to King and Spadina, like right in the heart of it, because that's where I wanted to be. And it was the best thing I ever did, to be honest. And I've, and I've never left Toronto since. Nice. So yeah. you've been here for a while then now. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So in school, so as soon as you like tell me about like your pivot from uh, theater to PR, like when you first heard about it, were you just like, oh my God, this is me. I need to do this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I ended up uh, Googling everything about PR and then started really at the beginning of like Edward Bernays, who was the founder of PR that did a whole, uh, I believe he was Sigmund Freud's nephew and did uh, a whole PR campaign around like Lucky Strike cigarettes, and it was a huge propaganda campaign. So I found that extremely interesting. And then Ooh, that is there, interesting. It's weird that it somebody is. like it, like like um, invented an industry. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, we totally did. That's yeah, crazy. yeah, he's and it's also based off someone who was using psychology as well too, right? A master in oh, psychology. Yeah, which is, yeah. Which is that makes sense in, in public relations because public relations is so connected with spin and propaganda. Not always right. as a publicist, you know, would say, but you know, other PR people do do a lot of spin. Government does a lot of spin, things like that. So corporate companies do. Uh, but so that really started it. And when I learned about Edward Bernays and 
you know, what he did and the whole Lucky Strike cigarettes campaign, I went, wow, the history part I loved. And then I started diving into what type of publicity you know, you could do or what type of PR you could do from government to even internal communications, you know, working with just media relations. And then when I found out media relations, I always knew and loved media and I wanted to, to work with media and that's how it started. So I really dived in to the media relations part of it. Theater was, is a great connection to it because obviously in PR, you know, you, there is a form of, if you are a spokesperson for a company and you are the PR person, there is a theatrical, you know, presentation part that goes into it. Mm -hmm. uh, on my side, running an agency, I have to do a lot of presentations and I have to do a lot of pitching. So that theater side really gives you the confidence to be able to go up, how to articulate, how to be able to put something forward and present it in a clear manner. And that really did help me. I never knew that was going to be that connection, but I'm really thankful that I did that. Yeah. That's so interesting that you say that. I, I would almost sort of expect in a weird way that like that should almost be sort of like a class in a PR yes. program, like year one or something. It's like, I, I, cause I even think back to like programs that I did. Um, I went to uh, on-air broadcasting uh, school and we had a drama class the first uh, the first semester and I, we were all like it was the most like annoying class everyone complained about it uh, we were like this is brutal like we don't care like we're not here to do, like take theater or, like do, you know what I mean but we were just like young and stupid I guess and then like <laughs> getting right. towards like graduating and then especially getting into like the work world I was like holy shit this is like so good that we have this like basic drama training because exactly it's like a type of performance or a type of like 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 you said like confidence booster or whatever it is and it's just so funny like you just you think that I don't know anyway but it's interesting yeah no 100 percent. it it really grounded me to be able to know how to to present myself going forward and also like to to love theater you know there's a mm -hmm. lot of even in, I could PR theater as well too, having an understanding of yes, you know, yeah. film and television and theater. Cause I even, I took film classes when I was in schools too, as electives in my, when I went to York university. So those things really still helped me because I had a good base and understanding of the industry and the material so that I could actually PR it because PR is all about lexicons too. You have to understand the industry. You know, a lot of people- Hold on can, one second. Can you tell us all yeah. what a lexicon is? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, there's different ways. A lexicon is just like a collection of, uh, of words or say phrases or, you know, um, sayings or things that we use. It could be buzzwords, you know? Oh, okay. So for PR, we use words like boilerplate and, and stuff like that. They're lexicons driven towards our industry that are key words that we use when we're pitching or we're talking to other employees or industry people. Everybody has it. You know, everybody has words that they use in their own jobs that most people would never connect with. Right. And is it just to describe like, like if you're trying to talk about like a brand's climax, like you'd call it like that word that you like, whatever word you want. Like, yeah, yeah, for about? sure. Okay, okay, yeah. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes different lexicons, you know, sometimes I think boilerplate means something else to other people. Right. It doesn't mean right. at the end for us in PR, it means, you know, at the about section of a company and it's a right. breakdown and it's like maybe a paragraph. So there's words that we use within the industry so that we can connect quicker with each other to have a, a better understanding. Yeah. So, that's cool. It's like your own yeah. language. Yeah. And so that, um, so I forget where we're going there with that, but yeah, anyway, yeah, P no, it's okay. But PR is, you know, it's, as I've grown, I've learned that. So obviously over years, you, 
you can work in different factors of PR, but you have to understand the business before you work in it. So researching, understanding the lexicon and, and more of the, the fundamentals around the business and obviously reading media around it as well too and being current and up to date. So that's really a, a base of PR as well too, is anybody can, not everyone can work in PR, but if you want to and you wanted to work in different sectors, you can because a lot of our, a lot of our skills are transferable into mm-hmm. different ways, into different industries. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's a, PR is such a crazy world. <laughs> it really yeah. Is. I feel like yeah. it's so, it encompasses like so much almost like even when I'm working on like marketing things, I'm like, Oh, this is kind of like PR or like, it, it just like, it bleed. like obviously it's your own industry, but I feel like there's elements of it in like different things. And sometimes people don't even realize that they, that is what they're needing or having, wanting to do or having to do it. Um, so it's certainly very interesting. Um, it's a very interesting, um, uh, like job and, and industry. Yeah. Um, And everybody, we always say that everyone's going to be able to use a a publicist or a PR person at least once in their life. Yeah. You know, if it's for a business, if it's for themselves, they're going to probably reach out to a PR person just, or a communications person or some form of communications professional, because we are needed if you are directing towards a specific audience. Sorry, there's my dog. Oh, that's okay. Thank you. Um, Yeah. Nice. Um, so then you graduated from York and then were you sort of like right away, okay, I need to start a business or like what was sort of the beginning, um, uh, sort of stories from like getting your feet wet in like, uh, the world after after university? Yeah. So when I was done university, I then, well, I went and did my postgrad. So I was actually lucky enough to work for Molson Canada. So when, oh, wow. I, yeah, I worked as a, funny enough, a, a promo girl. I was a Molson girl. Huh? Uh, <laughs> nice. when I did that. But then uh, I started there when I was, when I was 19. So I moved to Toronto. Um, I had my, my first job was actually doing Molson promotions with them. I got lucky enough to be connected with somebody who worked at Molson Canada. So I was doing that. Uh, and then when I graduated from university and did my postgrad, I stopped working at Molson because I didn't want to, you know, sell beer. I knew that I wanted to work in PR. I was really lucky that Molson gave me a lot of business experience and business professionalism as well too. Uh, and then from there, yeah, I went in, went and did my postgrad, finished my postgrad and well, sorry, I should explain. While I was doing my postgrad, I started my company. So I started building my logo. Oh. Yeah, I started building my logo in uh, in the computer room. I think it was on March break with a friend of mine, John Papa. We would call him John Papaopoulos. And so <laughs> I told John, he's like, what are you doing for March break, Chrissy? And I said, well, I'm going to go into the computer lab and build my logo because I didn't have any design um, uh, programs on my computer at that time. So I went into the computer lab and he actually came with me and he, I knew what the way I wanted it to look. And so I designed it and then he helped me put that design together as well too. And oh, then, nice. yeah, which was awesome. And that became my first logo. And then I slowly started asking questions to people about billing and PR. So it really became I kind of was driving myself through entrepreneurship, not really knowing it, but really interested in it. Uh, and then from there, I got my first client when I was 25. And, and who was it? It was Curly Haired Solutions. It was a beauty oh, wow. product. Yeah. And, ha- and how did you connect with them? 
So finding how things connect full circle. I actually naturally have really curly hair, even though it's straight. I used to do promotions for them. So they, because yeah, so I curly hair. So I would go and do trade shows and all this stuff with them when they would call me because I'd really, really, really tight, tight curly hair and they liked it. And the owner who ran the beauty product was like, you'd be perfect to do promotions for us. So at sales, you know, trade shows and all that kind of stuff, I would talk about my hair and the product that I use uh, and help them sell the product. And then from there, uh, they reached out to me and said, you know, we're looking for someone to do PR for us. Do you want to send a proposal? So I wrote my first proposal, sent it to them, and then they stayed with me for two years. And oh uh, wow, and they, yeah, and it really helped me build and, and get other clients. And we're still friends to this day. And I actually talked to them earlier this year as well too, and, and saw them. I haven't I haven't really been face to face with them for years because obviously we're not doing PR right now with them. But they said to me, they're like, Chrissy, we should we should chat about it again. And I said, yeah, it's like crazy how things come full circle. That yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And what a natural fit too. Cause like you genuinely like were a candidate for their product. I'm sure you've probably used it. So like you knew it, it I'm seeing a pattern with you that like you, you fully understand it cause you've like done it. And then, then that, that's what makes you so good on the other side of it. It's cause you've like physically walked that walk, you know? Yeah. yeah I guess so. Yeah. I've never looked That's a good, that's a good point. I've never looked at it that way. And it's, I always find that, you know, always keeping good relationships with people and keeping in contact with them or knowing what they're doing is, is always going to help you because everybody comes back full circle at some point. Mm -hmm. There's been times where people come back into your life and you're like, I would never thought that would ever happen. So yeah. Yeah. I think that happens for everybody, not just PR people. It happens for everybody, but it's something that I always take notice to. So yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. I think if you're like, um, like a communicator, it definitely happens because then you take that extra step to like talk to that person and like keep in touch with them and all of that stuff. Yeah. So it's like, it's insane. So then when you started building, like, so did you realize even that you were building a company or were you just sort of like, oh, cool, I have a client. Like maybe I'll try to get another one or like, like, tell me about that process. I did. So I started to understand that I was becoming an entrepreneur and never thought I would be an entrepreneur. Wasn't, I didn't wake up one day and was like, I'm going to start this company. You know, it was more about, you know, I'm, I want to do PR and also funny enough that we're going through COVID right now, but I, and we, and who knows if we go into a recession, but I started the business in a recession. So, right. So I had no money, obviously coming out of school, you're broke as a joke. Mm -hmm. You know, I had no money. I really wanted to do PR. Getting a job was insanely hard because no one was hiring during a recession. No one was going to hire a kid out of school. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of experience through marketing and things like that. So I was applying for jobs too. But when I started it, it was really a survival technique as well too, where I said, I'm going to yeah, where I'm going to start, you know, doing PR and I don't, no one's going to stop me from doing this, even though I love it. Or even though, you know, I'm running into difficulties, even if I want to work with a bigger corporate company. So when I started it, it wasn't to move into what it was now. It ended up becoming that. And then when the industry started getting, you know, there was more money and we were getting out of a recession, I was already building my business. And why would I ever go work for another company when I, had something that I started on my own and really pushed me through hard times. Yeah. And it was the, it was the best thing I ever did. I'm really happy that I decided to start vocab because it was, it really gave me the opportunity now after 11 years to be able to work with so many different clients and work in so many different countries and do different things rather than just maybe working for, you know, Nike or Crayola. Yeah or something yeah. like that. I was, I'm very fortunate that I've had experiences in, in multiple different in, in industries to date. So 
That's amazing. And how did you come up with the name vocab? Yeah, actually so funny. A friend of mine, Jake Gold, actually asked me this last night. We were talking about it. <laughs> uh, I don't know why we brought it up, but he did. Maybe he knew that I was going to be doing an interview. Yeah, today. that's yeah, funny. funny enough. Um, his intuition. Uh, I start, So it's actually an acronym. It stands for Voices of Canadian and American Brands. But oh. it's, it's, yeah, but it's really short form for vo, like, vo, vocab. Vocabulary? Like, vocabulary, exactly. So it's short form for that. And we always say that you have to have different vocabularies or different lexicons for different industries you're working in. Right. So, yeah. That's cool. So when I want to know what, how, so if you started in 2008, when was it like officially like, okay, you have a business, this is what I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm in this for the long run type of thing. When did I find out that it was going to be officially a business? When did I decide that? Yes. When I started getting more clients. So when I started working, I worked with the Remix Project. I started doing their celebrity poker tournament. I helped do their, their golf tournaments, their celebrity golf tournament uh, with Dave Bolin. So those things started moving and people started coming towards me and asking me to work on projects with them. Mm. I, started, I did a ton, a crap load of free stuff as well too. Yeah you have to. So yeah. I started getting my name out there. I made sure that I was always going to events. I go, I went to way more events in my twenties than I've ever had in my thirties, but that's really what helped me because I got to know a lot of people. I put myself into positions where I could meet people of influence and talk to them and start, you know, gaining some more contacts that would be able to help me thrive with my business. And to be honest, I enjoyed it. Like, I, I still enjoy going out. I don't go as much obviously as I did in my twenties, mm-hmm. but it was, it was something that I really liked because it fed both my lifestyle, my creativity and my business mind. And I was able to, to do both. So that's how that really started to flourish. And I didn't really have a time where I went, you know, this is now I'm going to do this full time. I think I just accepted it. It just happened and I just accepted it and then just kept driving forward. Nice. I actually love that. I think that's some of the most amazing businesses have been birthed that way, where it's just like, it kind of picked you. You didn't really necessarily pick it. And you're just like, okay, I'm just going to roll with it. Like it seems to be working and I like it and I'm making money and blah, blah, blah. And so like, I, that's really cool. Yeah. And I suggest that people do that. I always tell people all the time when I give them, they ask me about business advice. I say to them, you know, you have to do it. A lot of people are so scared to just even try something. And I said, Mm -hmm. who cares if you fail? No one's going to say, if anybody makes fun of you for failing, they have some other issues that they need to maybe figure out. Right. It's nothing to do with, it's not a personal thing, you know, and that's the best way you can fail. All of us have failed at multiple different things that we've done, but Mm -hmm. you can fail. And that's what teaches you in the long run to know what, what you should be doing. And then if that is a place that you want to be working in and you failed in it, it's fine. You're going to learn, you know, more about why you failed and you're going to become way better at your job. Yeah. You know, I've never failed in my job right now. I wouldn't be the PR person that I am now and yeah, learned exactly. from it and just kept moving forward. So. Totally. Um, and so tell me about like some maybe business highlights over the last year. So you've been doing this for 10 years now, right? Or yeah. Yeah. 11 okay. years now. 11 yeah. Years. So nice. congrats. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. What have, geez, there's a couple. So I've been lucky enough to travel a lot. I just came back from England, uh, before I literally just before we all kind of went into this COVID mode. Oh, uh, thank goodness. Yeah. I was doing, uh, yeah, I was doing, uh, it was a book tour, uh, along with then a movie launch, uh, for misbehaviors. It's, it's a large movie with Kieran Knightley that launched in the UK. So I was working on, uh, it was for Miss World and sorry that my client is Miss World and she came out with a book. Um, she was Miss World 1970s and there was a huge, female feminist um 
protests that happened during the the time that the first black woman ever won Miss World in 1970. And yeah, and a huge protest happened during the crowning of it as well, too. So they made a movie about it. It's actually coming to to Canada and to North America later this year. Uh, And so we're doing a whole bunch of book publicity around with her entertainment and lifestyle and then in attachment with the film. So it's really put me in London, England press where for a week I was just running around England doing press with her um, along with then doing it with other actors as well too. So it's a really nice, instead of just doing stuff always in Canada, I've been able to do things now within, you know, England and around the world. Nice. Uh, yeah. And did you already have like an arsenal of connections over there or did you have to like organically make those connections when you, you got- have to make them? Yeah. So we were lucky enough with this project that there was a whole bunch of different publicists working on it because we have a film, a major film, you know, we have our book that's attached, you know, we have a publisher attached. There's a lot of us in this uh, pot that was working, that would be working together. So we shared a lot of contacts with each other, but at that time, yeah, you really do have to go home, go and make, you know, new friends. I'm just lucky enough that I had a really great story and that my client has a really, really wonderful story. And she's Canadian too. So Mm. that really does help me. If I was, you know, if it was less of a story, you know, you're struggling a little bit more when you're pitching those outlets because you've got to find those angles. Um, Right. So are you just cold pitching then to these, these uh, like news outlets and stuff, like you said, and just hoping that they're going to be like, yeah, come on. Or yeah, I don't always call it. It is cold pitching if they don't know who I am, but really it's me doing the research in the back end, knowing who that journalist is and tracking the journalist or the producer and putting together a really great pitch that they're going to be interested in. So obviously they're going to be interested in a Hollywood film that has Karen Knightley in it and a book Mm -hmm. attachment. And then this whole feminist story that's going on while, you know, the movie's launched around the me too month so yeah. it has all of these wonderful media story angles that we get to tell so obviously that's can be very attractive to them it's just making sure you're finding the right people that you need to talk to uh, to make that story come alive nice that's awesome what are some of the other like um, like what was like your first huge like client that you freaked out over oh my gosh uh Geez, the first one I worked with or Microsoft. Like, oh, nice. Microsoft. Yeah, I, I never ever thought I'd work with Microsoft at a vocab, but it was that was very cool. We launched the Microsoft Band in uh, in in BC, and what is I actually. That? Uh, the Microsoft Band's like a, is a sports band, so it tracks okay. your you know your heart rate, your calories, okay. things like that. It's a fitness band, so we launched that with them and did an experiential campaign with a with an influencer, and then did a workout along with them as well too. So working with Microsoft was was really great because we worked on a global project. We were one section within the project, but then when we were launching the same day, England was launching. London did a, a experiential event, and then along with uh, LA, we all oh, wow. used the same global hashtags obviously we were kind of doing it at different times but we were doing it during the same day and they're all very similar kind of lifestyle workouts that we would do with fitness influencers uh, and then we were really lucky enough that of out of all the three cities toronto sorry not toronto my fault uh canada vancouver did the best we had the best metrics out of Ooh, all of them. Nice. yeah so it's yeah, it was really great. Uh, so that that was really one of those points where you're like, hey, you know what? I have a small company, but I'm able to work with somebody like Microsoft. And that that said a lot to me too. And it gives you a lot of confidence and also with everybody else on your team as well too. So Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you something else. Oh, what, I, you, I feel like you've been um, working in this industry in such a unique like section of time because you mentioned 2008 where I, at that time it was like blackberries and only facebook 
And then now 2020, where everyone listening obviously knows what's out there. Um, what was like that sort of whole, but it, it's kind of good too. Cause you were like, like you're young. So you were like raised on, on social media and like the birth of it. Like our generation is so unique in that way where we've kind of like had to teach the world about it in a sense, you know what I mean? Whereas the generation coming yeah. up now and behind us was kind of born with it already existing. So, um, uh, what was that, like, how did your business change? How did you have to adapt? And like, um, what was it like, especially being younger, maybe having to like explain a lot of this social media stuff to like possibly older people, uh, like who were in charge of your clients and things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I'm like, what am I talking about? <laughs> okay, no, it totally makes sense. Uh, yeah. So, there are changes. There are a lot of challenges with, we'll call them boomer. Now that's the, yes. the trend word with the boomer generation. Yes. Yes, there are. For example, when you're coming in as, you know, uh, an excited, educated entrepreneur that, you know, is worked in different facets of the industry, you're coming in with a different idea and using social media as one of those platforms to push your message forward and using influencers and things like that. They might not even know really what an influencer does or who they are and what it really means. So I've run into that a lot. And my job in PR, sometimes it's not even the pitching. It's more about sometimes the client explaining and holding the client's hand and saying, it's okay, we're going to be able to do this and really guiding them through and breaking it down step by step if they're not used to new marketing you know, jargon or, or terms. So there's a lot of that. I'm used to that now because I've been doing it for so long because a okay. lot of people just don't understand PR. Well, when I first started in the business, a lot of people didn't had no idea what PR really meant or what we did. They just thought that we went to wonderful parties and dressed up and drank cocktails like that. That's, that's not what we do. So more education, a hundred percent has happened over the past 11 years that people are really understanding what PR does and how it's important and how it works. So with influencers, yeah, there, there were times and it's funny because our, the slogan is everyone and everything's a brand. When I started the company, mm-hmm. That was 11 oh, years ago. Oh, that was really, that's yeah. interesting. That's very um, like ahead of your time almost because that yeah. wasn't the consensus at that time just yet. No, it wasn't. And it's funny now that, you know, I still tr- I still believe that everyone and everything is a brand, but I also find that people don't, the brand word now has been so overused that, mm-hmm. you know, we're everyone and everyone is just, we're just people, right? And we're all marketing to each other and we're all marketing, you know, everyone's got a story to tell and everyone has something to say and everybody, for sure, if they could push a company, probably they, they might, but everyone has a story. And that's kind of more where we're going now. And we're using influencers and other people within, you know, influence to be able to help push those stories forward if it's a brand story or it's a personal story. But I love the influencer connection now because there's this transparency that's coming out into the PR world that we've never seen before. And with media, people are demanding to see people's lifestyle and they want to see that transparent and they want the honesty, which I really, really think is important. And I think brands are seeing that as well too. So they're becoming more forthright and you know they want to be able to connect with people in real time. So they're not so much a person isn't a brand anymore. Well, they are, but everything they're doing is, is pretty much like a lifestyle play and being able to use micro influencers, larger influencers. You know, there's, there's a really nice way that we're, that we're moving towards with brands and people. I just hope it stays like that mm-hmm. and we keep going in that direction because I think that's really going to be the change for us and the way that people talk to each other and connect and consume products. I feel like it, 
like from what just being a consumer and like a person alive right now, I, it looks to me that that's, it's only going to get more. And what's, what's really sort of like started to affirm that has been TikTok because yeah. that is like, like Instagram, as people say, I'm sure you've probably heard this term too, is like a highlight reel, you know what I mean? Of like a produced as fuck highlight reel. Right. Whereas, whereas TikTok is just like, like here I am in my house with like shitty lighting, like wearing my pajamas. Cause like, that's what they're actually doing. And uh, it's almost like overproduced stuff on TikTok doesn't really get like the engagement that just some, like, you know what I mean? It's also like really younger yep. kids that are using it that like don't have a budget for all that stuff. They're in their parents' house in their bedroom, uh, you know, doing, doing just their regular thing. So I think if that app is any indication of like where the trends are moving personally yeah. from just being again, like a person that's like watching all of this, that's what it seems like to me. But do you kind of also think that as well? And like, if you do like what sort of other things are sort of like pushing you in that direction? Yeah, for sure. I honestly, it's, it's funny enough. I was thinking about this last week. It's so crazy that back in the day we'd have all these handy cams, you know, when you had, obviously our phones didn't have, um, didn't have video cameras on them. So your dad would be, you know, or mom mm-hmm. would be filming the family with the <laughs> handy cam yeah, and it'd be yeah. shaky and it, it was just really crappy quality and you'd watch a home video and you're like, this is horrible. And it had like the time right. code and the date in the bottom. And now people are right. filtering that into their photos right. that it's been like it's, removed out it's, of. <laughs> it's so coming back, but just even the style. And then, you know, we got away from that and it became really overproduced. And, and really, really, you know, high filters, you know, a, a lot of editing, Photoshop, you name it. And even TV became that too, really yeah. stylistic and things like that. And now social is coming back and bringing that handy cam idea back where, you know, you've got the crappy angle or the shot. And if it doesn't look that great, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's slowly been kind of doing that over the past years, you know, since social has been around. Uh, Instagram really kind of started to clean it up a little more, but you're right. TikTok's giving that little insider of like, this is real. This is who we are. Um, and, and, and ability to have fun with it as well too. So mm-hmm. I like that. I hope we stay that way because I think you know, we see that too, even in YouTube, for example, hot wings. When I watch, I love hot wings. I think the show is amazing. Is that the one where like the, the celebrity has, has to either answer a question or if they don't want to answer, they have to eat the hot wings. Yeah. So they eat okay. the hot wing and they have to answer questions. And a lot of them, like most of them do. So the host, I'm forgetting his name right now. I'm like, what is his name? Um, geez. Anyway, so the, the host time will ask questions about, you know, they he really dig, dig, digs deep into yeah. who they are and transparency and like goes through their social media and really looks to see if there is something that they want to, that he wants to talk to them about and ask them about their real life. Not just so much how to plug a movie or a television show. They do that at the end, but instead he really talks about them as a full person uh, yeah. and how they've influenced people or inspired them. And I think that's the way that media is going to be going. And I've been seeing that a lot too. Podcasts, like what you're doing right now and Mm -hmm. a lot of other people, they want to know people's stories. They want to know, they want to connect. And we're seeing that more than ever. And I think that as the medium grows, as podcasting grows, as as social grows, we're going to see that. Yeah, I, I really hope so too. And and like, I think, yeah, I think that's what everyone, well, not everyone, but like, certainly like, that's what I'm interested in. So like, that's why I started this because, you know, I would always look, I love people's bios and like to see where they've come from and where they are now. 
and I'd like Google these people's bios that I was just interested in like reading about them and like, you know, why they made the decisions that they have and blah, blah, blah. And it would be like, I remember, I'll never forget. I, I, um, when I was getting into radio and like broadcasting and stuff, uh, and like, I didn't know like what programs to apply to, like when I was like much younger and whatever. And so I was like, okay, who's like a, like a huge person in radio, Ryan Seacrest. So I Googled Ryan Seacrest's bio and I could have thrown my computer out the window. It was like Ryan Seacrest started at like, um, whatever Ryan Seacrest show is in LA, he started reporting on that in like, you know, 19, whatever it was. And I was like, are these people fucking kidding me? He did not start there. Like first he was born somewhere. Then like someone told him he couldn't do it and he did it right. anyway. Then he like maybe played sports and thought he was going to like go in a different direction. Then he like got an injury. Then he like that. I know that that's all there. It's just, why isn't that part of his bio? Like it pissed me off. So you're right. Much. You're right. You want to know more. <laughs> yeah. And there's some people that still miss that celebrity, you know, less contact, for example, that, that star status title has changed too, because who really knows a lot about Tom Cruise's life or Halle Berry? Exactly. You don't really know. But those are the older generation celebrities that became that star status that was really untouchable. Now the new star status is you're in reach and I'm able to connect with you and talk yeah. to you. And like you're able to message Eilish, me back live on Instagram and you can just like tune in and also be live with her in her bedroom or wherever she is. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that to me, some people don't like that. You know, the older model I've noticed, and I've talked to this actually about a friend of mine that's director. He doesn't like that model. He wants really? to have those celebrities. Yeah. That are still untouchable. I don't, I like to be is able to, to connect with that everyday person. Sorry. Is that from a business standpoint though? Because you mentioned he's a director. So it, does that come with like, you know, a certain revenue tag with these celebrities when he's like making a move or she, I should, I don't know who uh, he or she. Yeah. Um, it's a great, it's a great, like, a great I wonder point. why, you know, cause like the, like they're, 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 you know, money magnets ultimately, like you get a movie with Tom Cruise, you don't really need to like even put out a, a trailer or like a campaign. Like people are just going to go and watch it because it's Tom Cruise, but it's like, he has that sort of like clout but yeah, sorry. Do you, do you know? If yeah. Yeah. That might be, it might be. He's a TV director. Okay. So in his mind, those people are accessible to him anyway, right. because he's friends with all of them, which is really great. And that's the, the benefit of being a TV director. But I don't know. I think he just likes the, the idea of, you know, having less content out and people knowing less of them. Right. There mm. is a star status that goes around it. I'm not sure exactly why he would think that, but some people like that. There's that whole like 1950s Hollywood feel, you yeah. know, that's really glamorous and, you know, and really, and really beautiful to look at, but it's just not achievable. You know, Instagram's the same way. Like the reason why people use, generally use Instagram because it's, they want to have aspirational living. They mm -hmm. follow people on Instagram, like their Kardashians and stuff like that, because they want to see those photos that are really overproduced because it's very aspirational for them. It's almost like a dreamland. It's fantasy. Mm -hmm. So that's really what Instagram is for. And so some people like to stay in that realm because it creates, I don't know, a suspension of reality or, or right, something for right, them. Right, right. But I, for me, I'm, I'm not, I like the factor, the fact that I can access a celebrity or for sure when I want to tune in and right and watch Billie Eilish, you know, dance around in her bedroom singing. It's awesome. I love her. I think she's amazing. Why the heck wouldn't I want to tune into that? Mm -hmm. You know? So I rather have that. And I get more content from the people that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. The person that I love the most um, that does this really well, I like is Eliza Schlesinger. She's our age. I think she's 35 or 36. She's an amazing comedian. Her standups are unbelievable. They're all over Netflix. And now she has a new sketch comedy show. And oh, wow. 
And she now is, you know, doing, she's at home and her and her husband are just doing cooking shows once a day where oh, she gets God. to talk to her fans, you know, and, and really connect with her. And it's funny. I share, when she first came out with her uh, stand-up comedy, uh, oh my gosh, what is it called now? Uh, Elder Millennial, which came oh, out with nice. Elder Millennial. That was her really big breakthrough. And I actually posted it on my Instagram and said, she's brilliant. And she reposted it and liked me and liked oh, it. Wow. My connection to you is so close. And that feeling, I've had that happen with me and Chelsea Handler. You know, she's posted my content a couple times and I'm like, wow. No like, and I love her too. And I love that feeling because you're giving, you know, I'm, you know, be wonderful to work with them one day, but obviously yeah. I'm a fan. And so as a fan, I get to be able to go, oh, great she actually just knew who I was for like two seconds, mm -hmm. which is really cool. And I really respect her and I love her work and I want to support her. And I think social gives us those opportunities to support those people that we really feel that are doing change or we connect with and are really great rather than just having to be consumed with only a certain type of celebrity and a certain group of people because a production house or, or a, a label has told us to watch it. Now we can consume whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like the mutual respect back to from like, just how you said, like Chelsea Handler reposted something that you had posted. Well, that's like an instant. She obviously respects you and your work and what you're doing for her to like, want to put it into her own feed. Right. So it's like what greater sort of give back like yeah. who cares about your autograph? <laughs> like yeah, you know, no, that, that's way better than an autograph. Yeah, yeah. like I screenshotted it and it was like, oh my god, Chelsea Handler just totally reposted that. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Dope. Yeah, yeah it's, it's and I if I'm supporting her and that's a little yeah, that's my autograph. I'll take it any day, you know. Thanks, and then I went yeah. to go see her stand up. Yeah, Toronto, and it makes me more of a fan. Yeah, totally. It makes me more of a fan, and it's very genuine as well too. But she actually, you know, she comes out with this great documentary, and I'm gonna 100% support it. And she's then saying, and also, you know, there's a I should actually backtrack a little bit. There's a lot of celebrities or people that come out with shows and they don't interact. They just post it on their social, and they'll never interact with their fans, uh, which is really unfortunate. But she does because she knows that those are the people that are making her money. Those know that are supporting her work. So why not? get back to them it's mm -hmm. it's a nice little cue and a cue and it only takes two seconds to to send a heart or to, to yeah it. and obviously you can't do it to everybody because you have millions of followers but you can do it a couple times what's the mm -hmm. harm you know exactly that's awesome um so i want to know uh where sort of are you like i always i always say this i hate asking people where they're wanting to be in five years but like okay. ultimately i want to know where you want to be yeah, <laughs> not no, necessarily in five years but like where do you want to bring your business i guess yeah when i it's so funny somebody asked that when i started vocab somebody asked me this where i would be in five to ten years and i said i wanted to be working in other countries and now i am Amazing. so i think i'm all about this because like manifest your own, you know, say it out loud and manifest your own, your own kind of job, career, life. Uh, mine is for sure to work more in the States. I've worked in the States before. I'm kind of leaning towards that way in just North America in general. So I love working in Canada. Obviously we work nationally across and we always will because it's my home, it's my home country, but I'm going to start moving into, I've been moving into the LA and New York scene and stuff like that a little bit more, more LA on my end. And the hope is that, you know, we'll start doing more work there. I've been, I've been going there a couple of times. Um, uh, a year now, you know, connecting, building relationships, you know, working with other PR people that live in uh, LA as well too, and becoming friends with them and us cross collaborating because there's Toronto is such a hub now for entertainment. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of people want to know people in Toronto. So just doing a lot of relationship building and hopefully then I'll be lucky enough to be able to, to play in both cities at some point in time. That's awesome. Do you think you'd ever move out there? I love Toronto. Uh, gosh, if I had the ideal life, this is the ideal life and everyone is probably going, they'd love to do this too. Uh, I would love to live in, love, live in LA during the summertime and, you know, or sorry, uh, during the winter, winter live then, in Toronto, right. Live yeah, in Toronto yeah. during the summertime, yeah. but having the flexibility to be able to go back and forth to both cities to me is ideal. Uh, I love traveling. I'm a huge travel fanatic. So when I get my downtime that I can, that's, I just, that's what I do. So having the opportunity to be able to play in both cities is wonderful for me because I get my travel element out of it as well too. But I also get a really great work and play element too. Nice. Yeah. What about you? I should ask you that. Okay. You are the third person in a row to like turn it around and ask me questions. I'm not joking. Ever since I've been doing these, um, like isolation, this is my third one now and I'm not joking. It never happens in person. It never happens. But for some reason, when I'm doing it like over zoom or whatever it is, people are like, so what about you? Can I, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. Cause this (laughs) is about you and the the person who has clicked on this to listen wants to hear about your story, but I will share. Um, yeah. I won't take up too much time, but, um, well, actually, you know what? I, I better share with you after we've stopped recording because a good 70% of my goals, uh, are surrounded with a project that I'm technically not a, like supposed to be talking about publicly yet. Right. Fair I enough. know what it is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fair but, enough. um, but I'd be happy to tell you off camera and everyone listening, I will tell you guys soon. I just have to adhere by my contract. So, um, in like f- four, three, four months, depending, I will, we'll revisit this and I will tell you. <laughs> okay. That sounds good. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Uh, so, oh, um, also, did you bring sneakers or do you have sneakers that, uh, cause I always ask people at the end, it's been hard to do it like since isolation. Cause like yeah. people are usually in their socks cause they're at home. Um, right. but when I interview people in person, I always ask them about their favorite sneakers that they brought with them and they're like a story behind their sneakers and like why they're their favorite because the podcast is called coming up with my sneakers. And it's about like your path to leading up to today. Um, and yeah, I can't remember if I had like told you to bring some or not, but if Oh not, gosh, I have cool. tons of sneakers, but they're all white. My Ooh, favorite. I love that. Yeah. All my sneakers that I have, except for my gym sneakers that I work out in, but all my casual sneakers are all white. I love, I love a classic Reebok. I love any classic white sneaker. Nice. Um, I also do have a classic Adidas with the, the stripes on the side, but I just like a good solid white kick because it goes with everything. So the story, which is really funny. Uh, and just enjoy, it's kind of about shoes in general, and it kind of goes with the evolution of self. So over the course of eleven years, for sure, people change, and I've changed from you know being in my twenties and going into my you know my mid. I can't believe God, I'm in my mid thirties. <laughs> the first time I've said that out loud. Uh, oh. Going to my mid right, going to my mid thirties. Uh, everyone that's older is like, really? I know, uh, I know. Right, right. They're like, really? You're thirty. You're thirty six. Yeah. Uh, but going in that time, someone said to me, they they actually asked me. <laughs> We were all camping. This is two years ago. And someone asked me, like, Chrissy, what type of shoe are you? This is random. Oh. Obviously, obviously, we've had a couple cocktails. <laughs> yeah. so I'm like, I'm a white sneaker. And then I'm like, I, I'm a white sneaker. And they're like, no, you're not. You're a stiletto. And I'm like, 
no, I'm, I'm a white sneaker. And they're like, no, you're a stiletto. <laughs> you're like, well, actually, why did you ask me that? <laughs> I, I know it's such a random, but it was a conversation that we had and I'm like, no. And I was, you know, she's getting a little upset. Cause I'm like saying I'm a white sneaker and she's going, <laughs> no, you're a stiletto. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like, so it's funny in her mind over the years that she's known me, she's known me since I was 14 years old in her mind. She always saw me that if I had to choose or be a sneaker or sorry, or be a shoe or pick a favorite shoe it would obviously be a stiletto and probably in my 20s I would have said I would be a stiletto mm-hmm. you know every sec every person that watched sex in the city would have been a stiletto yeah but then as I've gotten older I've become a like a nice little comfy stylish white sneaker nice <laughs> so that's my you know and for and I realized after I left that conversation the conversation wasn't about shoes it was really about how people viewed each other and how yeah. my friends viewed me and how I viewed myself so I view myself as a white classic little sneaker that's comfortable and it's probably been through a lot but you slip it on and you run out the door and it's great and you can wear it anywhere that's and my you lifestyle still look good. yeah and you, yeah and you still look good and, th- and that's more my lifestyle now um it's not so much like throwing on a, a pump and running out and going to events anymore so yeah interesting so yeah, so, i love it yeah that's a, a, a why do you ask that yeah yeah i couldn't remember i know i've been like just so um like I said, just like adapting to the, it's been like slightly struggling for me to just like transfer my podcast over to like how I'm doing it now. Um, and that's been like one of the biggest difficulties because normally my, um, uh, like routine is like, you know, my guest brings their sneakers. They have to, they, ha- or they wear them. Most of them wear them because they had to like come and meet me in person anyway. So like right. they had to put shoes on. So it's like, nobody forgets. And then they have their story ready to go. And like, we take a photo cause we're together in person. Like it, it, I had such a system happening, but now I'm like, I can't take pictures. People are in their slippers. Like, this is like hard. <laughs> But well, um, I'll take, I'll, I can take a picture of my slippers and send them, or my slippers, I'll take a picture of my, of my kicks and send them to you. Yeah. Do it. I would love that. Um, okay. And before I let you go, the very last thing um, I would like to ask you is what is one piece of advice or like your top piece of advice for uh, somebody like either your younger self or someone walking a similar path to yours? Yeah. I think I always say never give up. I think that's the one that that's the first thing that comes to my mind all the time. Never give up. So many people just think they can't, they don't believe in themselves and they don't think that they can do something. Having self-confidence is amazing and having self-confidence is important. And a lot of people, I think sometimes step on other people's self-confidence because they think they might have too much of it. I don't, obviously being arrogant isn't good, but if you believe in yourself and you know that you can do things, you know, and you have great ideas, put them forward. Don't give up, keep trying and believe in yourself because believing yourself is the most important thing than any of it. And just do it. That's it. A lot of people, I know so many people that say they want to do things and then they never do it. And I go, why? Right. Because they're scared. And and if you're scared, that's the best thing. Being scared is teaching you that you should probably go and do it. And that's what I tell myself. If I'm scared of something and I want to do it and I'm scared because I go, my ego goes, you know what? You're going to fail. It's not going to be good enough. I go, no, I'm not going to listen to that and I'm going to go do it. And if I fall on my fat, you know, I fall, I was going to say on my fat face, which is not, (laughs) if I fall on my face, then that's what it's meant to happen. And I can learn from it and then you get up and you just try it again, you know? Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that concludes our podcast episode. 
Awesome. Um, thank you so, so much for uh, being on. I really appreciate it. Um, and for everybody listening, um, you guys can follow Chrissy on Instagram at Miss Vocab. So it's um, at M-I-S-S-V-O-C-A-B. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you want to give a five-star review, that would be very welcomed. Um, otherwise, have a great week. And I always say don't get caught wearing dirty sneakers, but I don't know if anyone is wearing any sneakers because we're all at home. So I guess I will say just uh, enjoy, smile, get some fresh air, and hopefully we'll all be out of this very, very soon. <laughs> Bye, guys.